You guys ever saw that movie Woodlawn? Anybody? Yeah, you guys, a few of you. I recommend this movie. We watched it again yesterday. Gretchen and I watched it yesterday, and it was powerful, man. It's, it's a true story, and it's, it's about a, a football team in um, Alabama, and it's during the times of racial division. You know, a lot of things are going on. It was, I think it was 1974 that this happened. And it was a time where they were actually busing students into a pretty much white school. And there was a lot of tension on the campus because they didn't want to integrate. There were like, you know, um, a lot of fights going on. And so it was the beginning of the year and the uh, football team is coming together and there was blacks that were bussed in who really weren't part of that school. They were just bussing them in from another side of the town. And the white players were looking at them like, we don't want to be playing with these guys. And there was a lot of tension. And so there, there was a minister. Um, he was just an independent guy who loved the Lord. He says, can I, you know, in the midst of all this tension and fighting that was going on in the football field, he said, can I speak to your players? And the coach was like, I don't got time. I'm a coach. This isn't a religious thing here. You know, I don't really want to give up time for this. But finally, there was just so much trouble and, and um, problems on the campus. He said, I give you, I'll give you five minutes. And this is based on a true story. So they went in the, the auditorium the, in the gym, and the football team is all uh, sitting there after the practice. And this guy goes in there, and, and I was just looking at him like, what would I say under these circumstances? What would I say to a, this rowdy-looking group of football players, and there's racial tension in there, and they're trying to get the, the players' attention. Everybody's talking, and then finally the guy stands up. He had a bad a foot, and so he was walking with a – he actually had a baseball bat with him because he was used to wanted to be a baseball player. So he stands up from the gym, and he whacks the, the, the bleachers with the, with the bat, and everybody's like, whoa. And he says, I'm here to talk to you guys about Jesus. And I'm thinking, you, you know, these are high school students. You're thinking maybe there would be a, a you know, like, ah, oh, man, we don't want to hear this. And they don't really go into what he said there. But he had five minutes, and the coach is in his office over there, and he's leaving, and it's almost dark already. And these, this guy is speaking to these players. He goes, what is going on? And he, you, you show the scene in the gym, and all these guys are sitting on the edge of their seat in stunned silence listening to this guy preach the gospel. And he says, which one of you today is going to stand up here? Which one of you is going to take, have the nerve to stand up for Jesus today? And one guy stood up. He had the nerve to stand up. And next thing you know, basically almost the whole team came down there and accepted Christ on that meeting right there. And it, it's a true story. This really happened in 1970. All the team went down. And because of that action right there, that middle wall of separation, that, that wall of race was, was taken out. Isn't our country so divided right now? It's factioned up into all kinds of little segments right now. Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel has the ability to destroy that middle wall of separation that would divide races, social class, um, anything. It could absolve all of that. And that's what that movie represented. It was so powerful as a true story. They went on, and one of the players was a, a, the tailback, and he was extremely gifted. And he just tore it up, man. And they won their season that year. But the last game he got hurt, and they didn't win. So they went into the next season. There was a rival team that they were that they were playing against. They said it was a forty-year rivalry, and this one coach that was the, the the coach of that other team that was you know you know they, they just didn't like each other, and the one coach was a real redneck, 
and he was basically, you know, making fun of them, and they're praying, you know, they're Christians now, so he's at a restaurant, and he's over there mocking them like they're praying to Jesus, and so they're like, okay, and so they, they ended up playing with them, and, uh, this coach looked at them and was like, man, there's something different about them. And the players actually went to the other team, this rival team, and had a meeting and shared the gospel message with them. And those guys got saved. That whole team got saved. And the coach was still outside. He was kind of looking and saying, ah, I don't know about this. And he went to one of their camp. They, kept, they did like a camp revival. And the coach got saved. And the coach that was just so vehemently against this, he was so radically against this, this, this move that was going on here, he gets saved. And then they decided, and the new season was starting up, they go, we're going to do something that's never been done before. These two teams that were rivals, and they were the really the, the best team... They said, let's have summer camp together, and they, they united and, and had a summer camp where they played and they, they scrimmaged with one another. Uh, it never done before. It never had been done before. And you'd see them when they would hit each other, they'd lift up the guy, it says, good hit. And there was this a spirit of peace that came upon that. And they challenged one another in that game. And it came down to the season where these two teams ended up being the two teams in the playoffs. And it was such a powerful, powerful testimony where these two teams, and one of them was the, the running back, 22, was the, the best running back in the state, and the quarterback, number 11, was the best quarterback, and they were both praising each other. They were saying, he's the best quarterback in the state of Alabama, the best, and he's the best running back. And so these two rivals all of a sudden had a common uh, commonality together, and they played each other. And this game was so huge because these, things, these teams were such huge rivals in the past and this game was such a huge game that they played it actually in the um, Alabama what's the name of the, the uh, stadium there or the um, this is a high school game they filled that thing up to capacity 40,000 people with 20,000 people waiting to get on the inside as this game went on and the thing that impressed me was they acknowledged God at the very start of the game. It was a packed out for a high school game. It looked like a, a college game. The whole stadium was filled with people. And they said, let's give uh, credit where credit is due. So they went out, that minister who started the whole thing, went out on the field with the two opposing coaches at the start of the game. And he says, let's pray. And they did the Lord's Prayer. And they said, the whole, he said, you know, he started praying the Lord's Prayer. And somebody was against this religion. And, and you can't bring religion into school. You can't bring this sort of faith into school. One of the guys went up there and pulled the plug on it. So the PA system went off in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And as he was saying this, it went silent. And then you could hear the whole crowd in the whole stadium finish the Lord's Prayer together. There was such a, and he goes, this is what happens when God shows up. It was, uh, if you've never seen the movie, I, I, I uh, recommend that you watch it. It's very powerful. And uh, it's a true story. It really happened. Woodlawn. It's called Woodlawn. It's a, it, you know, some, sometimes you watch these Christian movies and they're kind of cheesy. They're like, ah, I don't know. This one is good. This one is like, wow. I mean, it's very, very well done. And, and it really captures you. And it really happened. This is what happens when God shows up. You know, and when God showed up into our life, it changed everything. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we went from one camp or one team to the winning team. We went from one destiny to an eternal destiny that is so glorious that it cannot even be contained in our minds. It's beyond our comprehension. And that's the reality. It's such a precious thing that happened when we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's hard to fathom 
what happened in our lives. We went from death to life. Our place in eternity was changed forever when we confessed Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? That's truth. When the Lord says, verily, verily, he says, I really want you to hear this. This is true, is what he's saying. Amen? You know that God loves us. We know that familiar scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's so familiar to us that sometimes we don't consider the words. You know, Casey and Kelly, they bring their child up here. Um, Casey, what would you think about giving Oliver to die for the sins of a sinful world? I mean, that would be a hard thing to do. It would be a hard thing to do to give your only child. But that's how much God loved us that he gave his only begotten son to bring us into right relationship, to give us eternal life, that he was willing to do that with his most precious son that was with him in eternity. I want to read this scripture. This is in, you know, we've been speaking about abiding in the Lord and abiding in his word. And if we abide and if we meet those conditions, just like Pastor Tyler said, if we meet those conditions, then God makes promises to us. You know, one of the things that I said this morning was the reason why God chose Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? He looked out across the whole span of mankind and he says, I choose this man. Because he said, the reason why I choose Abraham, because I know Abraham is going to take what I'm saying to him, and he's going to take it seriously, and he's going to confer this onto his children. That's what the Bible says. It says that in, um, what was that, Genesis 18? That it says, Abraham is going to become a great nation. And, yeah, 18, 19. For I have known him in order that he may command, command his children, and that his, his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord. That's what God was looking for when he chose Abraham. That he says, I'm going to tell Abraham secrets, I'm going to reveal myself to him, but it's not only for Abraham, he's going to pass it on. He passed it on to Abraham, he passed it on to Isaac, and Isaac passed it on to Jacob, that this lineage came down, and we are the recipients of that knowledge of God. Here we stand, because of Jesus Christ, the line came through there, and we are those people. Now we go into the New Testament, and we go into the Gospel of John, and Jesus is conferring these truths upon his disciples and he's telling his disciples this is what I want you to do I want you to reproduce this fruit that I showed you I want you to do this and he's conferring this information upon them and he's trusting them that they're going to take this message and they're not going to just hold it to themselves but they're going to take it out into the streets into the highways and the byways in the uttermost parts of the world and we're actually fruit of their ministry we're fruit of the disciples that they did not just keep it to themselves and it just became a little cult that stayed in Jerusalem, but it went around the world. Amen? And in John 15, if you would go there, you know, and I've been preaching on John 15:1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that bears fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and is gathered, and they're thrown into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, 
and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So in there is it given an instruction as well as a promise. It says if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we'll ask, we can ask, if we're in line with the Lord, we can ask what we desire, and God says, I will do that for you. That's a heavy promise right there. That's a heavy promise. Then it goes on. This is the part that I wanted. This is the new part of this. And it says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That is almost hard to, very, you know, to conceive in our mind. As the Father has loved me, Jesus has loved us with the same type of love. That is hard to conceive. i got to be honest with you. That is hard to conceive that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus' his son. I heard this testimony about a, a Vietnam veteran who actually was shot down in a helicopter. And uh, he said he was, you know, like a, a normal vet. I mean, hard drinking, hard swearing, don't have nothing to do with God. And he's shot down in the bush somewhere. And he says he and his, his co-pilot were there, and he was bleeding out. And he says his, his vision was going gray. You know, the color was draining out of his vision. And he thinks, you know, and there was, so he's surrounded by VC over there. And he's thinking, man, I don't know if we're going to get out of that. They're trying to call in um, uh, medevac to get him out of there. But there's a lot of VC around there. So it's going to be a tough extraction. And he's telling his friend there, he goes, I don't know if we're going to make it, man. I'm already starting to go gray, uh, my vision. And then all of a sudden, he starts to go black. He says, I, I just lost my vision. He goes, oh, that's it. I guess I'm done. I'm out. And boom, next thing he wakes up, he says he wakes up in... In, in the glory of God. He wakes up in eternity and is just there in this place and he goes, wow, I felt more alive than I was alive down there in Vietnam. I felt alive and it was like, I, I felt so powerful. And he goes, wow, I'm like a mini God is what he was saying. And then he was cognizant of the fact that God was watching him and God was laughing at him. Laughing like, look at that. That's my, that's my son there. And he's thinking that he's a mini-God. And God says, you, you don't know anything about power right now. But he said the, the realization that came to his mind was how much this all-powerful God, he was love. It wasn't just he loved me. He was love. It was just emanating through him. And he was looking at him kind of like how you look at your child. You know, remember when my, my kids were small. And you just look at them and you all of a sudden you realize you got a stupid grin on your face because you love them so much. And they're doing things that are just so funny, you know. And I would go to work, you know, I'd be over there doing my job, and, and I would be thinking about something Wesley did at home, and I've got this stupid grin on my face, and, and all, you know, I'm thinking about something he did or something Heather did, and i got this stupid grin, and, I, and all of a sudden I catch myself, and I go, wow, I hope nobody saw me, man. They think I'm demented over here. And we just called up our granddaughter, and it looks like she just got... She had a little altercation with her mom, so she tells, I need, I, I need to call them. I need to call my grandparents. So she, we go on FaceTime, and she goes, she tells the, the mom, Mom, I need private time, so you got to close the door. So she goes into that room with the, with the, with the, uh, the phone, and over there she's talking to us, and she says, I love you guys all day so hard. <laughs> And she was telling us, she was confessing to us that I, I ended up hitting my mom and she put me in a timeout. So, but I love you guys because you guys never punish me. <laughs> I, I love you hard all, all day. And it's just so funny, man. 
And I think about this, this hardened veteran who said to himself, God, get me out of this condition I'm in. I'll be good for a couple weeks. He realized, I'm not going to be able to lie to God that I'm going to reform my life. It's going to be perfect after this. If you just get me out of this, at least he was honest enough to say, I will be good for at least a couple weeks if you get me out of this. And for whatever reason, God says, you know what? You're not done yet. He goes, you can't send me back. You can't send me back to after feeling this love and this, this eternal presence. And, and I'm so accepted and I'm so loved. You cannot send me back. And he said, he, God spoke to him like a parent with tough love. He says, you are going back. And he goes, he says, I'm not a religious person. But what I said to the Lord was, thy will be done. And boom, he was back in his body. And he gave this testimony about how God preserved his life in the midst of a battle in Vietnam. But I thought it was so interesting that his encounter with God is God is love. And he looked at his creation. He looked at this guy with such love. He goes, I never felt that kind of love before. And right here, the scripture says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That God wants us to be cognizant of that sort of love. He wants us to know that that's how he views us. If you keep my commandments and abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Who would love to have fullness of joy? I would. It's like, it seems like one of those elusive things, you know? It's like you, you get a, a download of joy, and you're like, yes, I can, I can walk on water right now until somebody cuts you off in traffic, and all of a sudden, the face is just changed right there. Ah! You know, and it just seems to come and go, and I'd like to have that abiding joy in my life that is just transcends circumstances, transcends things that come and go in our life, to just have a focus on, I am the favorite in God's eyes. I am loved by God. I'm secure in the Lord. He loves me. He forgives me. And he proved it by his resurrection. He proved it by going to the cross and resurrecting and saying, pin your faith upon this act that I did for you. He goes on in verse 12. This is my commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That is like high, a high water mark. Love others as I have loved you. You know what Jesus says? Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. He's not just making platitudes. He means what he says. That's hard. It's hard to do that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I see stuff on the internet, and I have a, few, a certain political view, and I see this political view being pushed and espoused, and it's, it's like, that's lies! And, and my natural uh, reaction is, I want retribution! I want justice! Can anybody give me an amen on that? <laughs> but God says, you should pray for them. Because you're just a beggar that found out where you can get some bread. You went from one category. You were that person. You went from that category to this category because the grace of God. And he opened up your eyes and he called you and he chose you. And he put, his, he put your name in the book of life. And if you were to be able to have the grace and consider, Jay, what difference could it make to these people? You know that show that I was saying, that, that Woodlawn... 
the coach was the, the coach of the team, the main team of the show, was resistant to this movement. He wasn't there when the players got converted. He was outside of that meeting. He came in, he goes, what the heck just happened here? All his players are down there and they're getting prayed for it. He's not liking this. He goes, ah, I'm not so sure about this. What I did was right. And all of a sudden he starts seeing some changes there. And he's seen the black and white players getting along. And all of a sudden, his heart is being convicted. He goes, man, I'm outside of this. What's going on here? And he realized, man, I got some prejudices that I'm not dealing with. I got some issues that I haven't dealt with. And finally, it comes on his heart. And he went into the black church where his, his tailback was going to church. And he went in there and he says, I just want to say something. And he goes, I need to be forgiven for my attitude towards you in here. And he went in and he made a public confession that he goes, I want to receive what you guys have here in the black church. And they baptized him right there in the, in the church. It was powerful, man. The power of humility, the power of acknowledging our weaknesses before to be vulnerable. But God comes in and does tremendous things. If we would take him at his word and do those things that are uncomfortable and allow our lives to be a living sacrifice. And you think about, you know, dedicating a child. And it says, unless you be converted and become as a child. You know, children are humble, man. They're not like us. That I have to have preeminence. I have to have position. I got to drive the best uh, stroller, you know, and <laughs> they're not like, <laughs> I ain't riding in that. It's not a designer stroller. They're, not, they're, they're humble, man, right? And God wants that for us. He wants us to get along. He wants us to love one another. And, you know, I think that, you know, I love it. This church, man, you know, it's, it's a cross section of all kinds of people here. You know, I believe that's what the church should be. It shouldn't be, well, I'll get along with these people because they look like me and they kind of act like me. And no, the church should be a representative of society as a, as a, a cross section. It should be made up of all kinds of people. Different views, different status in society, different, you know, um, vocation, whatever. It, there shouldn't be any of that within the body of Christ. Greater has, love has no one than this, verse 13, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You know, we sing that song once in a while, I'm a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham walked with God, he learned from God, he learned from his relationship with God, and he says, Abraham, I'm giving you this son, this most precious son that you waited all these years for, and he goes, God, you're a miracle-working God, my wife's womb was dried up, I was old already, there's no way we're going to have a kid, but you said we we're going to have a child, and you gave us this child. And he's rejoicing in this child. And then all of a sudden God tells him, Abraham, take that son, your only son, and take him up onto a hill that I'm going to show you and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. And he didn't hesitate. He saddled the donkey, grabbed the wood, he grabbed the fire, grabbed the knife, and he went up to the hill. Immediately. He had learned that by walking with faith, walking with God, this is a God who is good to his word, that even if I slay this child, he's going to bring him back from the dead. He went up there, and he brought him, and he laid out Isaac on the altar, and he arranged the, the wood underneath, and he bound his son, and Isaac said, Dad, I see the wood, and I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? God will provide himself a sacrifice on this mountain. 
And as he raised up the knife, and he was ready to plunge it in his son, in his son to uh, sacrifice his child to the Lord, the Lord says, Abraham, I see that you fear me. Do not harm the child. And he looks over, and there's a ram caught in a thicket of thorns over there. And he grabs the lamb, and he sacrifices. He goes, because you have done this, I'm going to give my, my son on behalf of mankind. He followed through, and that's why Abraham was called a friend of God. He knew God well enough to say, when God says this, we can put it, take it to the bank, we can put it in action, and God will fulfill his end of the deal. Amen? Greater love is no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 15. No longer do I call you a servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. The Word of God. God tells us His plans. He tells us the future. He gives us His instructions. He tells us to put these things into action and we can expect a result from that. Verse 16, it says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. More instruction on bearing fruit, that we can take him at his word, that if we put those things into action that we know that is revealed through his Holy Spirit, we can put those things in action and we can see fruit develop in our lives. We can see the words and actions bear fruit that have meaning to other people's lives, that bring change to other people's lives, that this is what God desires for each one of us. That each apple has the ability to reproduce another apple. Each seed has the ability to reproduce another apple tree. Amen? This is a promise. I like this part in verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. That's powerful right there. And there's a lot that the Bible has to say about that. And like I said, I've said it many times. I like to think of myself was bright enough to when I heard the gospel message, I said, yes, Lord. I'm smart enough to, to see a good deal when I see a good deal. But it says here that God chose me. Before the foundation of the world, God chose me. He saw me seated in heavenly places according to the book of Ephesians. He sees us complete in Christ, seated in heavenly places. It's a done deal. We're already there as far as God's concerned. These truths are almost too much for the brain. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says that we could get a revelation of this, that we could know the love of God that surpasses understanding. That we could pray for that. That we can have an expanded understanding of this love of God. That it would produce the right type of fruit. That it would produce the right kind of conduct. That it would restrain us from walking in the flesh and compel us to walk in the spirit. Because of who we are in Christ. I love this illustration. You ever been part of a, a wedding party? You know, either the bridesmaid or the groomsman. Or you are the groom of a wedding. You know, I remember when I got married, I had a nice tuxedo, white tuxedo. I was looking sharp, man. I even had tails on that thing. <laughs> I was clothed in, in righteousness, man. Not that I was that righteous at that time. But I had the white suit on. I had no inclination to go play in the dirt with that thing on. You know what I'm saying? 
If we know who we are in Christ Jesus, we know our sin. All of us know our sin. We know our feelings. But what if this word says that I see you seated in heavenly places already? What if God says you are the righteousness of Christ in uh, righteousness of Christ, uh, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now? What if God says you're seated in heavenly places? You're going to go cavort out in the mud of the world? You're not going to do that because I already have the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm already destined. I have a reservation in heaven. I'm not going to go taint myself with the things of the world. Right? You elevate your vision. This is who I am in Christ. That's what I'm attaining to. We can say about our sin, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. I guess I'm a sinner. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. No, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We elevate our vision and we go after that and we stay out of the mud. Amen? That's such a better vision. And that's true. That's what God is saying about It's so, sometimes it's so hard in our flesh to accept what God says about us. If God says that we're justified, who's saying that we're not justified? That's the word of God. That's in Romans. It's God who justifies. Who's he who condemns us? That when we feel condemned, we can bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I screwed up, man. I got some dirt on my, my wedding garment over here. Okay, we'll clean that up. Now you're still righteous. Go sit over there in the heavenly places now. Amen? Amen? That's what the gospel message is. It's so radical. It's such a radical message. It's hard for us to conceive it. What do we get? What do we have to do for this? We have to believe it's true. That's all that's required. We have to believe that it's true. If you abide in my words and my word abides in you, then you'll line up your life with this. Then we'll manifest these characteristics in your life. The Holy Spirit will make it happen in you. It's not do the righteous thing so that I become righteous. I am righteous already. And the righteous fruit just grows from us. That's a big difference right there. I'm telling you, that's a big difference. That's a revelation from God. It's like putting the cart in front of the horse or the horse in front of the cart it's the motivation because let me tell you if you do it the other way all it will do is breed frustration because we'll try our own efforts and it'll work for a little while and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll it'll just blow up in our face and like that's it that nobody can do this you're right nobody can do it but jesus did it for you just believe what he did Amen. That is the key right there it's the key it's the key it's the key pray for that revelation because we can rest in the fact that it's already completed. He already sees me seated in there. It's done as far as he's concerned. And I'm just riding his coattails to get up there eventually. Amen? That's the reality of the gospel. That sounds, that sounds too good to be true. It is too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. That's what the gospel message is right there. That can't be true. It is true. You know why? It costs Jesus everything. It's free, but it ain't cheap. It costs a lot to give us that. And as we look into it, our wonderment over that and our, ah, I'm not going to do that because, man, look what he did for me. I'm not going to sell out to this cheap trinkets over here. I'm not going to do that because look what he did for me. Look what he's promising for me. I'm going to keep my eyes on that, man. He already said it's done. I just got to line up with that truth and just keep walking. I ain't going to sell out short. I'm not going to sell out short, man. I want to have a glorious entrance into his kingdom. Amen. Did that encourage you this morning? That's the word of God. That's the truth of the gospel right there. 
it's amazing how many people have not heard that message. A lot of people have heard religion. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe 50 years from now, you, I don't, you might make it. <laughs> Have faith in God now. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. You are saved. You have went from death into life. He confers it. He wrote our name in that book. Before the foundation, of, He knew it was going to happen. Yeah. We didn't know. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray.